ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 62 of the Super Reformed Bros Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Jackson. We're bros. And we're reformed. Super reformed. And Jackson, my question for you is, what do you hate most about the Christmas season? What's something you hate about the Christmas season? Santa Claus. Okay, good. I like that. I like the short, quick answer. Yeah. You, normally, you go on for forever. No, very simple. No, very simple. Okay. Um, Alex, my question for you is, this year has been a little hectic with our, you know, Christmas tree situation. Um, there's a story behind that. But do you prefer fake trees or real trees for your Christmas tree? Uh, it depends. It's if, if I could get a perfect real tree, then well, I would prefer that. But if But it's so hard to find a perfect real tree. It's like near impossible so i prefer a fake tree over like a fat real tree that's, crazy, that's like Alex. taking up too much space you know so yeah yeah that that's my sad. answer okay um guys today we have a very special guest joining us adam terrell the author of public stoning god's design for a nation without prisons adam thank you for for coming on thank you guys for having me yeah it's uh it's it's i'm looking forward to it so before we get into uh what this book is about and you know why you wrote it and everything we got to ask you our seven questions that we ask every guest um so our listeners can get to know you a little bit um so of course the first question is uh what are your of course (laughs) of course what are your top three favorite movies adam Oh, we were just talking about one of them in the pre-show. It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. I don't know if it's top nice. top three, but it's it's way up there. Yeah. Um, okay. It's it's really when you get into my top ten, I like them all for different reasons, so it's really hard to rank them. But yeah, um, It's a Wonderful Life is definitely probably I'd say at least top fifteen, if not top ten. Okay. Okay. So uh, another one is uh oh sorry go ahead no uh, no it's all right go ahead go ahead N- uh, give uh, your top three and then we'll and then ask some questions. The one that I reference the most often, so I guess I have to say this is number one, is an old black and white film called Twelve Angry Men. Oh, of course. Uh, a classic. It'll be obvious that I like it due to the nature of the book. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. There's oh, some really man. interesting stuff to discuss about that. <laughs> oh, there uh, really is. How the court system works or yeah. should work or doesn't work, etc. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And then for a number three... Hmm, I really like Pixar. Um, gosh, I might have to say uh, in, we'll go with Inside Out. Ooh, okay. The Pixar movie. You know, recently I was I was actually listening to an old podcast and they were talking about that movie. It had just come out on the episode I was listening to, and I was like, they were talking it, talking through it, and I was like, I should watch this again because it actually sounds pretty interesting. It's a genius like, I, idea. I, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how everything works. I'd have to watch it again to see if, if it's true, you know. Um, if it's true, what do you mean by with, true? With the way they it functions. Like, like, is it accurate? I think, I think, if I remember correctly, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, they do a really good job of making it seem like this is how, like, like a, a good way you're, uh, like, it makes sense that your brain functions that way or whatever. Um, yeah, I a lot of it's based on research, like what mm-hmm. happens mm. when you go to sleep. You're cataloging memories and that type of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's, it was a genius idea. If, if, like, yeah, it was a genius. The mm. first time I watched it, I didn't really like it because I kind of 
came up with an, an I like to come up with an analogy for like what each character is when I first started watching it. So <laughs> I I kind of slapped an analogy on it to make se- a little bit more sense of it as I was watching it, and then the analogy was totally wrong. But for that reason, I ended up not liking the movie because I completely <laughs> missed what the movie was trying to say. <laughs> That's great. And then, Going back and watching it again, I'd, I'd really say that the moral of the story is, it uh, reminds me of a passage in the New Testament. It says, I rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that your sorrow brought forth repentance. Mm, yeah. Mm. Which is really Riley's whole thing. She's going to run away from home, and it's when she finally has the ability to feel sad, she feels sorry, and she goes back home. Oh, yeah. Right. I do remember that being an interesting an interesting that, plot point that was where the it's problem. like I couldn't remember how it ended. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, I remember the whole joy thing being a big deal, but I couldn't remember how it ended. And yeah, that, that, that is her thinking like I need to suppress sadness, and then it's like, well, the m- movie goes to show like you, know, you you need all your emotions. You know, like I spe- like sadness is actually a good thing. Yes. Like in some instances, it's actually needed. Yeah, I did that. Well, was, in our yeah, in our world right now, yes. which is a really really deep thing. Like it's it's interesting. Pixar will do interesting messages in a lot of the movies that most other people won't do. But I mean, Joy is the main character, and you know what Joy's problem is? She's too happy. <laughs> yeah, that is literally her character flaw, and she has to learn how to be sad. And most people think, well, you're just you want to minimize sadness because you know at the beginning of the movie, Joy doesn't really know what sadness is for. She's going around describing, oh, disgust right. keeps it safe from getting poisoned. Um, Anger makes sure that everybody does the, what's right. Um, I make sure that Riley's always feeling good. Um, fear keeps us safe from danger. And then sadness, I'm not really sure what sadness does. Yeah. I will say the one, I feel like the one emotion, the disgust is kind of strange. I feel like they, that emotion was weird. Like, I don't feel like that one needed to be in there. Hmm. Yeah, she really didn't do much. Yeah, the movie. I felt like yeah, she Yeah, because you think of like... You think of the five emotions, and it's like, disgust is is one? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it fits, but I think it is needed, right? But fear, I I feel like, I I don't know. No, yeah, I was just thinking that. But fear and disgust are are very different things in in certain situations. Like, like if she's not disgusted by a gross-looking thing, she'd have no reason to be fearful of it. I know they were discussing in the how they were writing the story. They went off of a theory that somebody said years ago that said that there are five basic emotions. So they just went with that for the story, and then after they finished the story, they they went back, and the other guy later changed his view, and he said there's 40 basic emotions. Oh. So they're like, oh, okay, well, Ooh, that's a little problem. That, that's out the window. <laughs> That'd be a big cast of characters. <laughs> I do remember also, it's interesting, though, like, because you see, you see later in the movie, or not later, but you see in the movie, like, inside the mom, the mom's head, oh, yeah. and the dad, and, like, that. the leaders of their, like, the leaders of, of her, like, like, they each have one of the emotions is, like, in charge and telling the other ones what to do. And in hers, mm-hmm. it's sadness, and in his, it's anger. And, anger. and I was like, huh, it just feels like they're really, I don't know, they're, I mean... Well, and, and even all of the, if you look at the, if you go back and watch that scene in the mother, they're all, they all are all shaped like sadness, but they're all different colors. Mm. Ah, and okay. And they're all shaped like anger, but they're in different colors. But in okay. Riley, each one has a different color and shape. Interesting. Huh. 
Yeah, it's 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 a unique it's a unique movie for sure. I would I would say like I would say that's probably I think one of Pixar's best movies. Um, I just have too many other movies I like. For, well, yeah, for me to when, put when Pixar a, up top. When a kid's movie goes to the point where it's like so deep that yeah. you know adults can have conversations like that about about it, um, it it did well. It appeals to everybody. So <laughs> yeah, okay, good uh, good top three I'd say. Um, well, I don't like Twelve Angry Men, but. Are you serious? We'll, we'll save that. We'll, yeah, save, we'll talk about that. Maybe we will um, talk about it, yeah. Okay. Question two. Do you prefer ice cream, cake, or ice cream cake? <laughs> Did Definitely you? ice cream. Oh, okay. Okay, nice. Nice. Ice cream. That's uh... so I've only had ice cream cake a couple of times, so I don't really remember it very well. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I think I same here. I don't feel like it can be... Great, like... I don't know. I feel like every time... How can ice cream cake be better than ice cream or cake by itself? I feel like, yeah. I feel like every time I've had ice cream cake, which is only like a few times, I've been disappointed. I've been like, nah, I'd just rather have either ice cream or cake. Like, it just... Yeah. They weren't... With ice cream cake, it's so much more dependent on what kind of ice cream and what kind of cake. Usually, it's just like a straight vanilla so that they can do whatever kind of cake they want. But I guess that's... I mean, I have a a, a reciprocal question for the two of you. What's your favorite... (laughs) kind of ice cream well i was gonna ask you that but we'll answer first um oh oh i don't even why am i even why did i take five seconds at double dunker i don't even know why i hesitated my bad yeah what even ha- is that uh, oh he doesn't know because he's, ex- he's not let me on the east explain coast. this let me explain this so it's like mocha ice creams so it's like chocolate coffee ice cream it's got like oreo cookie crumbles in it and cookie dough in it and I think that's... It's got a fudge swirl, I think, as well, yes. right? Yeah. Well, it's got like... I just heard three different versions of chocolate, so I, I would say I probably like it before <laughs> I taste it. It's, it's so good. Yeah, it is like, really, really good. It's like, yeah, it's it's delicious. It's very sweet, but yeah, it yeah it doesn't I, I If I were to say one that wasn't Double Dunker, because it's, it's hard for me not to go with Double Dunker, yeah. but sometimes I just like some coffee ice cream, you know, like mm. a mint mm. chocolate chip, I really like too, but... Uh, I I normally would go for like just a coffee. Coffee ice cream is good to me. I actually yesterday got vanilla ice cream and I we had coffee and I poured the coffee on it and I put chocolate syrup. That sounds like you. It was amazing. <laughs> okay. So anyway, sorry, um, Adam. What what is your favorite type of ice cream? I would have to go with either just straight chocolate or if they've got options, uh, cookies and cream is really okay. hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, you I, know what? Why I, I forgot cookies and cream. I, I always like cookies and cream. I think I'd put that above mint chip. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I I like the chocolate chips, though, in ice cream. Like, I... Sometimes I just go with plain vanilla, dude. Have, you ever, have you ever had French vanilla? Yes. Or, uh, no, it's called... Sorry, not French vanilla. It's, uh, it's called French silk. French silk? I don't think no. I have. It is a it's vanilla and coffee swirled with chocolate with chocolate coffee chunks. Oh my! Okay, it's very difficult to find. Oh, do you know I what think, the brand? Was? Uh, Briars or dryers, depending on what area you're in. Okay. Uh, and I think they only have it as slow churned, which is like a light fat oh, version. But, oh, okay. That sounds amazing. I I feel like. We're gonna have to try that now, Jackson. Yeah, we will. Do you have a Chick Fil A? No, no, you don't. Do you? You're in Idaho. Uh, actually, there is one in the basement of the University of Idaho. Oh, uh, okay. In the really, basement. It, 
It's no, it literally, it's like inside of a student, random student building, and you have to know where it is. There's no signs directing you anywhere. And if you have to, you either have to walk about two miles to it, or you have to pay to park and you still have to walk about a quarter. Wow. But it's really designed for students only, but it does show up on Google Maps. Man. So have you had, I'm assuming you don't have it much, but have you had their, um, peppermint chocolate chip or their peppermint milkshake um i don't think so oh man i know it's a seasonal thing but i mean i remember seeing it on the menu often because they're all over in texas yeah that might be one of the best milkshakes that that yeah i think it'd be below double dunker but if we're going ice cream and milkshake i think that'd be second in in my opinion but yeah um okay well next question uh What's like a crazy story that you have? What's something crazy that happened to you? Doesn't happen to many people. Mm, I guess I'll have to go to a story I've used several times on uh, two truths and a lie. Okay. <laughs> but um, I used to be involved with an organization called Open Carry Texas. This was before oh Open Carry was allowed in Texas. Oh okay. So you couldn't openly carry a handgun even if you had a license. But you could open carry anything besides a pistol with no license required okay so they would do open carry walks on the highways and in town and um i think they organized a walk no they there was a walk that i went to they organized it was on the anniversary of jfk's assassination so Mm. they did an open carry walk on the uh, street corner where jfk died Mm. so that's not the crazy one um the crazy one is uh, we went to uh, there was another open carry walk and we were all trying to figure out where we wanted to go eat so I have uh, an AK-101 strapped to my back oh my goodness uh, an AK-101 is an AK-47 but it's chambered in 556 uh, you shouldn't do that but anyway that was the gun <laughs> carrying um, and so I have an AK on my back And they're like, well, they sent several people out to ask at a bunch of different restaurants because understandably they don't want people carrying guns to come in and eat at their restaurants and scare other people. Oh, my goodness. So I'm waiting in line at the CC's Pizza, and there's like 100 people that are just like staring at me. And I'm just waiting until I get up to the line, and I'm like, hey, there's 150 of us outside, and we all have guns like mine. Is it okay if we eat here? And uh, (laughs) they said no, so we eventually went to, I believe, a Wendy's. That was completely empty, and they're like, "Yeah, there's no customers here to scare you know 150 150 customers. Yes, please." Oh my oh, god, man! But I had just had to stand there in a CC's Pizza for like 10 minutes with a with a gun strapped to my back. Oh, wow, that's that's hilarious. That's crazy. I, so. I wonder if anyone got a picture of you guys all in Wendy's, like just a ton of guys with all these guns just sitting in Wendy's eating. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure great. there there are, I think, on a, if you go to the Facebook group, OpenCarryTexas.org, uh, gosh, that would have been like maybe 20, 2015, 2014. Okay. Wow. Like that. Man, that's hilarious. That's great. Okay. I um, love it. What's what's an irrational fear that you have? Mm. If you don't have one, you know. If you don't have one, you can make one up for us. No, actually, I've never thought about that question before. Maybe just like eating insects. Okay. 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 That's it. Uh, me and Jackson have eaten insects. Chocolate yeah, covered. I don't know if I've 
I don't know if I've ever eaten a bug, but I just have a, a serious aversion to, I wouldn't necessarily call it fear, though if it was a gross enough bug, I would probably be afraid so, to do it. So hold on. Is, is I this have like... a very strong disgust reaction with food textures and stuff when I was a kid. Okay. So, so this isn't like bugs in general. It's specifically eating them. Specifically eating them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I, but I actually wouldn't. I don't know if I'd call that irrational, though. I think a lot yeah. of people probably have that same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, I think sure. So. What about um, this? Is something that you know when we had Luke saying on, he said his was was someone else clipping your toenails. Mm, my mom used to clip my toenails for me when I was a kid. So. So, but when you, you think when you that. think back to that, like you were never nervous when she was clipping your toenails. No, I don't remember oh, her ever hurting me, and or if she did, I blacked it out. <laughs> <laughs> we we like I don't think my mom ever hurt me either. But every time she would clip my toenails as a kid, it was like I was like I did. Well, because not she like can't it. feel uh, it, she yeah. can't feel the pain. So exactly. she might go too far or something and not know it, and then you uh, can feel it. She can't though. Yeah, I didn't. I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just wondering if that was just, if that was like a. I, I want to know if that that was something a lot of people thought about or not. Like, but okay. <laughs> my sister did accidentally slice my uh, behind uh, my ear while she was cutting my hair one time. Uh, I was actually just going to bring that up. It's kind of like that. How yeah, people who cut your hair they they can't feel what you're feeling, and uh, sometimes they nick you. You know, it'd be nice if you could cut your own hair, but that that wouldn't work. Man. Okay. Next question. Um, what's the most delicious food you've ever eaten? <laughs> Mm. Or like meal, you know. I just had the most expensive meal I've ever had <laughs> earlier last month, but I wouldn't call it the most delicious. Oh, that's uh, okay. Yeah, that is. Sad. I would have to say I was on a short-term mission trip to Mexico. Okay. And I had a just a plain old chicken quesadilla at a hole-in-the-wall restaurant near a touristy place. And I think it ended up costing like the the meal was like a dollar fifty, and it was one of the best things that I've ever eaten. Wow, why does that always sometimes, happen? Yeah, it feels sometimes like, that's just the case. Like, like we went to that Italian. We went we went to an Italian place, and it was like super expensive. And we finished. We were just like, eh, I'd rather have a Chick Fil A sandwich. Like, <laughs> seriously, this is not that good. That's yeah. hilarious. Sometimes the cheaper the food is, the better, because it's because it's simpler, and it's just like. It's well, and they were hand making, hand grinding the corn flour, and, <sighs> yeah, you know, mm. hand pressing the tortillas in front of you while you mm. waited. That's crazy. Makes it taste better when you can see them making it. <laughs> um. All right. Question six: If you could erase one thing from existence, what would it be? And you cannot say sin. Sorry, I have to preface that. I have to be a bit more creative. Uh, <laughs> erase one thing that's not a sin from existence. Now, could it be a result of sin? Yes, but you can't just abolish sin. You know, you know. Um, it was a few years ago. For some reason, I had some nerve damage in one of my toes, and like I Ooh. can't. Every once in a while, I can't feel the tip of my left big toe. Okay. So it would be really cool if uh, I could feel my left big toe again. <laughs> so I would say num- numbness in the limbs. I would let's go with that. Erase numbness oh. in the limbs. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, very specific, sense. but I mean, yeah, it does make sense. I would erase probably a lot of other things before that if I thought about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Sure, sure. Um, okay, and then, you know, the final thing that we ask everyone, you know, the, our question is, could you... The most important question. The most important question. Could you just, you know, ask Jeff Durbin to come on our podcast real quick? Uh, sure, yeah. Jeff, if you're listening, uh, I think these guys deserve it. They've Heaven knows they've asked enough times. So <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you come on? I just, I'm just picturing like every time we do that, our listeners are like, "Oh my god, can I skip? I'm just gonna skip past this." Like I, I despise this part of it. And but, actually, could could you guys ask for Jeff Durbin to respond to my invitations to come on you know, to their podcast? You know what? Yes, Jeff, we know you're listening right now, and we know you're you just keep ignoring us. But look, we got a great guy on, Adam. Uh, you know, and he's written a, a really good book and he's, book. he's literally like, he's reached out to you and you guys really should have him on. So do it now. Look, look, or and, else. And, and Jeff, you can come on my podcast anytime you'd like. Yeah, but just come on ours first. And, and we know, <laughs> and we know that you listen to our podcast. Um, but the fact that he's written a book. Yeah, no, he's written like, a if book. If you listen we to our podcast, then you should be listening to his as it, well. Adam deserves to be on Jeff Durbin's podcast. We're not even asking for that. Like we oh, don't, we don't oh, okay. want to be on. No, we don't want to be on Jeff Durbin. We want to have Jeff Durbin on. I wouldn't say we're to the point where we should be on his podcast. We haven't done anything. Um, <laughs> Adam actually has something to talk about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but anyway, thank you, Adam. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll add that to the collage uh, of people that collage collage. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, sure, sure, Jackson, why not? So now we can get into our main topic, which is your book, Adam, uh, Public Stoning. And so, wh- so why did you decide to write this book? Well, first of all, what's the book about? And also, why did you try to write it? Well, the book is about public stoning. Interesting. No. The title, I don't mean to be condescending at all, but you did <laughs> question. Um, yeah, it's, it's his yeah, fault. The- the title is uh, focusing. It's the first book. Uh, preferably, uh, there will be a series before I die. But, yeah. um Starting with the the biggest elephant in the room of a Christian view of prison abolition, what would that look like? And the death penalty. While yeah, it's kind of the most advanced thing, and it's the fir- thing that's furthest down the road in terms of like actually doing. But in terms of uh, what do you talk about first? You kind of you, you hash out the big problems first, and then you figure everything else out as you go. Um, my expectations for my friends are that they won't murder people. Like that's a mm-hmm. pretty basic yeah uh, expectation to have of people that you know. So I feel uh, just felt that it should start there. Okay. Um, so uh, how how long were you thinking about this and wanting to write it? Like, did was it a long process that you were? Uh, thing about this or was it just something that kind of popped up in the last like you know couple years or so no there's a there's a speaker that i really like named uh simon sinek and he says that he writes a book as a last resort okay when when um doing a podcast or writing a blog article doesn't get a thought out of his head he writes a book so that he can stop thinking about something okay so this was something that i had been thinking about for about four or five years and could not stop thinking about. And so I wanted to stop thinking about it and move on to other things. So I, <laughs> I had to write a book about it. Interesting. Okay. Um, so 
I guess let's just get into it. Or, or Jackson, did you have a question? Well, no, I, yeah, I was just going to say. So if you could just give a defense of of this, maybe define for people who don't know what public stoning would entail and a defense of it, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you know, or the people listening are probably like, stoning, what? You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Right. Well, yeah, the, the two, there's really two major points. And if I had to give up all the rest, I would stick with these two. The first one is that um, it holds the person who did the wrong accountable. You have right. to do that as opposed to putting somebody in prison, which holds the rest of the public just uh, almost as responsible as the person who committed a capital offense. Okay. Because they're having to pay money to keep him in jail and yeah. keep him fed and keep him away from everybody else. So I think that he should be solely responsible for what he did on this earth at least. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. And then number two, the reason public stoning is because public stoning is disturbing and I hate it and I would like it to be unnecessary. And so the design, God's design of public stoning is for public stoning to unnecessitate itself or to, to eliminate itself. So whenever you have to publicly stone somebody, you deter people from making more stonings necessary. Right. So, funnily enough, by refusing to stone people, you make it more necessary to stone people. Right. So, so, and I think we talked about this with Luke Saint for a little bit, but if you could. So, what would you say to someone who says, um, well, why stoning? Why not? And I know you kind of you kind of mentioned that when you were just giving your reasons. Um, but why stoning? Why not, you know, hanging or, or literally anything else? Why, why stoning? Well, number one, it's what God commanded. Um, and then also, number two, Jesus was in favor of public stoning, which I think might come as a surprise to some people. Uh, but we can get into why that's a surprise, but it shouldn't be. But yeah, the, the stoning mean, in particular, um, hanging um, hanging is allowed, but okay. you can't hang somebody up for longer than a day. Yeah. Because uh, I think that would be an example of going too far or maybe the, the authorities gloating over public execution. Okay. Um so yeah, I mean, just to kind of go back, why why do you think people think that Jesus was against stoning, or or why they shouldn't think that? So the famous passage of uh, the end of John seven, mm -hmm. and then I think it's through uh, chapter eight, verse eleven, okay. or maybe it's verse fifteen. Um, the woman caught in adultery account. Yes, uh, which. I think it's it's clear from the story that Jesus was not saying, oh, you shouldn't ever execute anybody anymore, which is the tack that most people take. Which, if you take that angle, then you also have to say that Jesus abolished all penalties for all wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Because right. why, why, would you, why, could you, why would you stop arguing? Yeah, yeah, Jesus said when it's really, really extreme, you shouldn't do it, but when it's really slight, you should still punish people. Right. That doesn't that doesn't really follow. So your logical, logically consistent options are either no punishment for anything ever, or Jesus was actually upholding uh, the requirements in the law for how to execute somebody, which the Pharisees were not following. And then um, number two, we shouldn't hold that passage above all of the other places in Scripture that say stoning is the correct way to go about executing somebody. Right. Because it's, it has one of the most dubious, dubious 
reputations as far as its authenticity is concerned. Right. So it doesn't appear in any uh, copy of John's Gospel until the end of the 300s. Mm-hmm. So for the first almost 400 years of the history of the book of John, that story does not exist. So I would think that maybe it's authentic. Maybe we'll find copies of it existing earlier and being original. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until we know that for sure, I think we should hold it as a secondary and hold the other texts above it to interpret this passage by instead of holding this one as the most authoritative first place that you go. Yeah. So so why do you think it is in our country? And I mean, there's I don't... Is there a country that has... Do you know of a country that implements stoning for the death penalty? Uh, there are some in the Middle East that will do it, that'll make national or worldwide headlines occasionally. Okay. Um, I believe Iran okay. is one. Uh, don't hold me to that. And I know that there are some others, possibly Sudan, that uh, there will be some uh, very low-quality video or photos or okay. a news story of you know, some woman who's been accused of committing adultery or something like that. So why do you think it is as... In in America, you know, as in a quote unquote Christian nation, um, from the start, why why do you think it is we lost that, um, and and went you know to prison as an alternative? I actually couldn't really tell you. Um, prison is the practice of prison is is obviously very old and arguably goes back just as far as stoning does. Mm-hmm. Right. We have the first mentions of prison and stoning in the book of Exodus. So the Egyptians practiced stoning, and they also practiced imprisonment. Mm-hmm. So as far as the American tradition, um, a lot of people will refer to how much the founders quoted from uh, Blackstone. Um, and uh, Blackstone quoted from Scripture quite a bit. I honestly don't know why uh, public stoning wasn't at least in in vogue or in view. Huh. Yeah, that that is interesting because I mean the death penalty was a thing right off the bat, right? I mean, right. The, I mean, you and you even had grisly ways of going about it. You know, being drawn and quartered. They would yeah. hang you, and then after you were dead, they would cut your body into four pieces. Oh, yeah. And then kind of parade you around. I mean, it's not too dissimilar from the the Levite's concubine, I believe, in the Book of Judges. Mm, yeah, yeah. He, he cut his his concubine had been raped and so he cut her body into 12 pieces and and sent her body parts throughout the countryside to to bring people to bring men into fight so that they could go to war against the people who did that right yeah that that is that is weird that they would go like that stoning wouldn't even enter the thought like i mean you don't hear anything like at the beginning where it was like with the beginning of america where it was like okay let's you know like we had this, and then it like kind of faded. You know, it's like that. That wasn't ever a thing. Um, stoning wasn't so. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't think prison was as obviously as prevalent as it is now. But yeah, the, no, the no, specific, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's like you something said, that yeah, yeah, like you were saying in the beginning, how is prison? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, in the beginning, prison was probably used a lot less. Well, definitely was used a lot less than it is now. Um, but so. So, you, what is wrong with prison, would you say, Adam, other than it not being, you know, in Scripture? I mean, there's no examples of, of God uh, saying, imprison these people. But other than that, what what do you say? Like what, what are the, practically and morally, what's wrong with it? Well, the, the, 
the biggest reason is Deuteronomy 24, 6 that says, no one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge for that would be taking a life in pledge. Okay. And I talk about this in more detail in the book, but what does it mean to take something in pledge? It means it's binding something as collateral, either duly or in an impressive way. Yeah. So if I take your coat in pledge, it means I hold it until, um, until you do something. Either you pay me back or until some terms of an agreement are reached or something like that. So, what, and then what is a millstone? Well, you use a millstone to, to grind grain so that you can make bread and eat. So, if somebody owes you something, you can't take his work tools until he pays you back. Because the, the standard for paying somebody back for something is you work. If you can't pay for what you took or what you owe, you work until you pay it back. Right. But if you take the person's tools and then tell them to go work, well, then that's unduly oppressing him. Right, You're preventing okay. him from paying you back while saying, pay me back. Mm. And so if you can't take, and it says that um, if you take somebody's millstone, you're binding his life. Well, so why can you, t why can't you take a millstone? But somebody would argue, but I can take the person's body and that's not binding his life. How could you make that argument? So you can take his tool. You can't take his tools, but you can take his hands. Hmm. You can bind you can bind his body. So if a man's tools are a man's life, then isn't a man's body more essential hmm. a more essential tool than a millstone? Right, right. I would huh. argue yes, absolutely. So gotcha. by using inference on that passage, prison is prohibited indirectly. Gotcha. Interesting. I've never heard that. I've never heard the argument put that way before. Okay. Um, so, prison is out. <laughs> Stoning seems like the best option. But what would you for, say... For capital offenses, specifically. Right. Obviously, stoning is not the only thing that you need to Okay, replace. and that's that's what you I was need. about to ask. Is like so, so you wouldn't say stoning is the only just way to... Absolutely not. Right. There's okay. a whole swath of other things, but for capital offenses... Stoning is a very important, like if you got rid of being allowed to do all the other things like restitution, uh, lawful slavery, uh, marriage restrictions, mandates, loss of limb, um, paying somebody's medical expenses. If you didn't have the ability to do any of those things, I would argue that the death penalty is the most essential one, the ba most basic one. Okay. Okay. So, so it's more, it's more so the death penalty rather than stoning specifically yes there's a few different acceptable methods of execution mm -hmm. stoning is one um there's a, a big discussion to be had over is cutting somebody off always stoning there's at least one passage that it is synonymous the way that you cut this person off for this particular offense is you stone them to death um but then there are a lot of other ones that just say cut off and it doesn't ever necessarily spell out stoning um, burning. There are two different offenses that require burning be the method of execution. And then, obviously, war is a certain type of execution. And mm -hmm. there's two types of war. There's uh, something being devoted to destruction or being put under the ban. And then there's just regular war. Okay. So, what would you say? So, like, like when it comes to... Because I've heard the argument that, like, 
so when it comes to like homosexuality right um there was an instance i forget which king was it jackson you remember his name um uh one of the whatever one of the kings he was a good king and he took over and he exiled the homosexual cult prostitutes yes um so in that instance because because i've heard the argument that because of that then you can say that see therefore like exile would be actually okay to do towards people like that homosexuals or yeah prostitutes yeah that gets into a, a broader topic that's towards the end of the book which is i think is a stopgap and this is the situation that the church basically worldwide is in right now this is in this situation we don't have the authority to start executing people for certain things right uh because we're our own house is in such disrepair we should focus on our own house first gotcha but also we're not allowed to start executing people within the church you know among our own members so uh you could use excommunication or exile as a stopgap in the meantime gotcha that's that uh that's available to everybody so in church like you'd say the church doesn't have the authority to execute people it's it should if someone is in sin they should be exiled from the church excommunicated from the church unrepentant Correct. Sin. I, yeah i think i think the reason that we don't have the authority to actually execute people is because we're under judgment we're in babylonian captivity so to speak okay so if we wanted to actually have our own courts to do that type of stuff we're you know if if somebody in the church god forbid murdered another believer in the same church mm-hmm. well, i think everybody would agree you don't just handle that yourselves you take you call the police and right you let the state do an investigation mm-hmm. i'm saying that that's a goal that we should work towards where we are given that responsibility back because we've shown our wisdom in self-judgment okay where the courts will say y'all's courts are better than our courts <laughs> so you we trust you guys to handle all that stuff because you've been you've proven yourselves to be so skilled and trustworthy at doing it would that include execution i believe that it should okay. and i can't i can't reason it my way out of that based on a couple right. of different passages which we can we can either get into that now or get into later well yeah i was wondering about romans 13 and what you would say about the they talking about the governing authorities you know bearing the sword and stuff like that right yeah romans 13 is a good example um so it's it's uh we should be in submission to the governing authorities obviously without sin yeah but if the government tells me to buckle my seatbelt or i'm going to get arrested i should do that because they're not commanding me to sin they've been placed in authority over me i should not drink and drive i should not there's a whole bunch of other things that the bible doesn't explicitly command but is a um I would not be sinning by submitting to the governing authorities. Now, if they tell me to go kill, you know, unborn children, I can say no. And I can even lie about why I didn't do it, like the Hebrew midwives in, at the beginning of Exodus. But um, I think that we should seek that responsibility back. And I think uh, the church is, is uh, not not thinking of itself as being a light to the nations in the way that it should be because we're not seeking back that type of responsibility i keep coming back to this prophecy about the new covenant zechariah 8 where it says 10 men 
in the latter days, ten men will grab hold of the sleeve of a Jew and say, take us with you, for we've heard that God is with you. Mm, wow. That's, it's basically 180 degrees from the way that we think of evangelism, where we're having to chase people down. Yeah. Hi, I'd like to tell you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody in the United States, at least, has heard that, and they cringe, and they recoil, because they don't see any fruit. And a lot of people can honestly say, yeah, my parents were Christian, or yeah, I tried Christianity, I saw no fruit, and I saw a lot of infighting, I want no part of that. I don't see any Jesus in the church, which I think to a large extent is true. Yeah. And so I can understand why people reject it. So, you know, the New Testament talks about the nations blaspheming God because of us on our account. Hmm. Because we're not representing God appropriately. Yeah. So, so with this information, you obviously, you know, um, think this is important, right? Um, so where do we go from there? Like, like why, I guess, why, why is this important? Uh, obviously, you know, sure, this would be the good thing to do, but what do we do now, you know, with that information? It's hard to give a specifics. Mm-hmm. There are some overarching things like the, the prophecy in Zechariah 8 I mentioned. What do, what do Christians have to do differently? What kind of fruit do we have to display that would make a stranger stop you in the street and say, are you a Christian? I've heard about you guys. Can you please teach me about your God? Yeah. Hmm. Why don't we have that kind of reputation? What do we have to do in order to, to get that kind of reputation again? Yeah. Instead of us having to chase people down, it's like, you know, God brought all the animals to Noah. Noah didn't have to go out and chase squirrels down. Yeah. And that's such a, it's, it's a much, much larger, more daunting question that makes me comfortable with this thought process taking a very long time to get there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I keep coming back to the parable of the ten virgins where it was only the ones that brought enough oil for a long wait for the bridegroom were allowed in. The ones who were only prepared for a short wait before the bridegroom came back, they not only like got late got there late to the wedding, they weren't allowed in. They were shut out of the wedding feast. Yeah, that's it's uh that's really powerful i mean the the idea of that like you know like like looking toward looking at this as like a yeah the overarching thing is like the issue is where we're at right now us. is yeah the issue is us um we're and that ultimately i think is good it, you always want the um the 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 positive aspect the thing that you're you know that you're teaching or you're trying to communicate to always come back to like you know help you help you with your sanctification right um and with that i think having that in mind really really does i mean that's like the whole you know the whole point is uh being sanctified to the point of like like you were saying where people are (laughs) coming up to you and saying yeah you're i can tell you're a christian you're different um yeah that's the dangerous thing because the mat the majority of Christians, well, okay, maybe I won't say majority, but there are a lot of Christians who have this mindset of, you know, well, Christ is coming, I'm just sitting here and waiting, you know, mm-hmm. um, when, no, we need to be proactive, you know, we, we need to change, because we are failing in many places, and that's that's not good, you know, it's, it's very basic, but, but somehow still lost. Um, 
Right. And it's, it's a much bigger question even still, because it's not just a, oh, a, hey, I've seen that you act different. You're different. It's a, I don't even know you. I've never seen you before. I've just heard about your God, and mm. I'm interested mm. because of how all of you act. Yeah. Mm. That's good. And so I can say that as a blanket statement, I want to follow your God because I've of how many, you know, that's that's such a pervasive um, it has to be such a pervasive set of action it's, by it's, Christians that the reputation spreads that widely. Yeah, it's interesting because like I, it, it reminds me of like recently I listened to a video. Actually, it was a video that Doug Wilson did um, where he was reacting to um, something Andrew Tate said because um, Andrew Tate became a Muslim or whatever. And he was talking about why he became Muslim and not like a Christian. And he started ta- He was talking about how Christians don't defend their God. Like Christians don't care. Christian, like like they, they obviously don't, and obvi- like he's not. You know, I don't. I don't. He obviously doesn't see all Christians because I think there are plenty of Christians that do. But I do think it's kind of like a. You kind of see it as a, the majority of christians including you know all of us i mean we're we can all do better the the the, it's viewed christianity is kind of viewed in our country especially as kind of a joke you know it's kind of like okay yeah that's that's stupid you know like they don't they don't truly they don't truly care they don't truly believe what they're saying you know and that's why I think so many people are surprised when they sit down and actually have a conversation with a Christian who has true conviction. And well, obviously, if they're a true Christian, um, and they sit down and talk to the person, they're like very usually very surprised by what they hear because um, they think it's it's just all you know uh, fake, you know, just on the right. outside. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of fruit to it. It's like we're we're telling people to come and pick from an orchard, and they get there, and there's nothing on the trees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, if we have fruit, we won't have to start advertising. People will know where to find it. The word will spread. Yeah, that's really good, man. Well, is there anything else? Any any other closing? Like any remarks you'd like to like to share? Yeah, I was I was going to mention one other thing earlier, where I said that Jesus is in favor of stoning, and then I proceeded to talk about why John eight doesn't mean what most people think it does. Yes, and yeah, it definitely okay. doesn't have the weight that most people think that it does. But that's just removing an example of Jesus being against an instance of stoning, but I didn't give the example of Jesus being for it. Oh, and okay. Yeah. There's a couple of examples of Jesus being for it. Number one, he, a lot of people think that the Pharisees were all about Moses, and they were on the outside, but Jesus said, the reason that you don't believe me is because you don't believe Moses. If you don't believe Moses, how can you believe my words? Mm-hmm. So, number one, Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you don't believe Moses, which I think a lot of people think of the Pharisees as being Moses' number one spokesperson. Yeah. But then there was an example in Mark 8 where, uh, let me double check that that reference too. Uh, Sorry, Mark 7. Yeah, Mark 7. So, uh, Mark 7 through verse 13, Jesus... uh, condemns the Pharisees for their traditions and specifically one that they uh, set above Moses' commandments for a child who rebels against his parents. He's supposed to be put to death. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you know, about Jesus that. Jesus says, yeah. you know, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But then mm-hmm. he says to the Pharisees, but you say 
whatever child would uh, like to dedicate all he has to the temple instead of give to his parents is Korban, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his parents. So you nullify Moses and many such things you do. So in other words, Jesus says, not only do you not stone children for doing this, you encourage them to revile their parents. And that was an accusation that Jesus had against the Pharisees. Yeah, so, so if Jesus was against stoning, what what would that accusation mean? The Pharisees could have just responded, you can't condemn us for, for failing to stone people because right. you don't believe people should be stoned anymore. And Jesus would have to say, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, the the I mean, the very fact that he's calling them out on that is is uh, proof that he was uh, definitely for, uh, obviously for the law, but for stoning. Um, yeah, he condemns them for not stoning right, or right. children. Well, I, know, I mean, yeah, and if if you're if you are a theonomist, then you'd have to accept it, right? Um, yeah, because you've already assumed that Jesus, you know, would be for theonomy, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I, I've never, I honestly don't know if I've ever even, like, I can't remember ever hearing that past, I mean, I'm sure I've read it, but I can't remember ever thinking through it like that. I, I feel like the, the thing that you probably would pick out from that, or most people pick out from that is, like, see how greedy the Pharisees are. You know, they just want these children to be focusing everything on, you know, things that help them. Uh, things that you know back to the temple where they you know giving giving everything they have to that uh, for the Pharisees but instead you know instead to take away I mean to take away that obviously is part of it but then the other part is well what th- that's the negative thing but what's the actual just thing you know the 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 positive over here that that's supposed to be done um, and the fact that Jesus wouldn't, you know, isn't condemning that either kind of is, you know, I think, yeah, I think that's good. I think that points pretty strongly to that. Yeah, there's a lot of people that they jump to the conclusion because this is true. I've never heard anybody besides a very small group of people that are against prisons also be for the death penalty. Most people that are against the prison system and they're they're for prison abolition they just argue that you just shouldn't do anything. Hmm. Huh. They, they don't, they, or they maybe say that you should do something, but also they don't offer an alternative. Huh. Interesting. And so I can understand why prison abolition has never gotten anywhere yeah. because people are, they're just against prison, but right. they don't know what to do instead. And right. so it's this like- is the first, this is the first book that's ever been written on public stoning. There are commentaries that have been written that include the, the discussion in there, but this is the first book that's ever been written on public stoning itself. Really? That's, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy that no one else has written a, a, a book just on public stoning. Because um, it seems like a kind of a, I mean, I guess, I guess, like you said, like a lot of people, it's either, um, I mean, people who are for the death penalty, I guess you do, you rarely hear them jump on and it should be public stoning, you know? Um. Yeah, most people, when I argue against the prison system, they'll immediately launch into a, well, but, you know, but if somebody murders somebody, blah, 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 and I just say, like, yeah, I agree with you. And they're just like, they don't know what to do with that. 
they didn't know it was possible for for somebody to be against prison and for capital punishment. Yeah, and I'm like, not only are am I do I have both of those? I think they feed into one another. Yeah, that they work together. I've never, I've actually never heard someone say that. That's very interesting. It's like living in a terrible country and just like not giving a solution for it. Like, yeah, just saying, oh, wow, a, this is terrible. Thing, there's an old saying: Does a fish know he's wet? Fish, a fish has no concept of dry, right? Until he, until he's dead, you know. You pulled him out of the water, and then he he dries out and suffocates. But before then, a fish has no idea he's wet. And I feel like this is one of those issues. People don't know of this alternative. They've never thought about this before, and so they didn't know that this view was possible to hold. Yeah, and that's how far we have to go. And it's biblical, so. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So, the uh, like, so so when it comes to what, what, but again, why? Like, I guess, and I feel like I already asked this, but why specifically? Like, like, would you say? Would you say so? So the difference nowadays is, you know, we don't, we're not all living um, that way anymore. Would you say it's not possible in America to do this? Would I say it's not possible? Yeah, like with with how America was started, would you say, like we would have to start a new country in order to put all this in in place? It's. I mean, it's going to take a lot. You can. You, I think you'd be surprised how much one generation can change to the next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. Well, I remember my dad telling me a story when uh, there was a divorce. And the parents had to have a conversation to like, you know, so-and-so is getting a divorce. My grandmother would not say the word divorce out loud. Mm. Wow. She would, she would spell it. And she wouldn't even, she would just mouth the letters. Wow. Man. Like, that's, that's how far we've come. Yeah. And now you've got that's television crazy. shows that are all about, um, you know, Will and Grace is an older show, but that's the whole the whole premise of the show is that you've got a homosexual man rooming with a girl, and there's no danger because he's not into girls. Yeah, Ugh. and that that's on television. You know, we go from not being willing to spell, not being willing to ver- uh, spell the word divorce out loud. You have to whisper it or mouth the letters. To yeah, let's have a show and and make jokes and pass it off as normal yeah being you know being a homosexual yeah so um there's another there's another big thing i don't expect you'd ask about this but my my book does uh get into this i also i think uh james white might call me a sacralist or okay. holding okay. to sacralism um i would disagree because usually sacralism completely blurs the line between uh the church and the state and we can talk about how you define yes. the word state but y- yes the division between church and state i think is the, well the church specifically is believers right so the only distinction there is believers and non-believers so if mm. we're talking about the state being unbelievers and the church being believers then i definitely believe in the separation of church and state but also i would say that the church is supposed to have its own government and ideally 
it should be self-governing. It should not be subjugated and being ruled by unbelievers. But wait, hold up. So can't there be Christians in the state, though? I would say that that's probably an unwise thing to do. Because now you've got believers ruling unbelievers. And Paul says, is it not your own members you are to judge? What have I to do with judging unbelievers? So you don't sound like you'd call yourself like a theonomist, really. Or, or that's, that's the question. Yeah. That's cause, <laughs> um, cause when... I, I do very much. Uh, I like a lot about theonomy. I don't usually use the word because a lot of people have negative connotations with it. Yeah. But I've had people say, uh, you're definitely a theonomist. And I've had other people say, you're definitely not. So I don't use, I don't really use the word because okay. Because I mean, when I think of, you know, theonomy, I think of, okay, so we set up a government. So, so, and, and it sounds like you're saying, keep it to the church. Keep it to the church, but does that mean you think government, sh- like a government shouldn't exist and the church should be the government? Or would you say, a government should exist and it should follow God's law, or, or there's no way, f- like, government just, it doesn't really matter. It's just up to the church. God's kingdom is a government. I mean, a kingdom is a political term. Uh-huh. The word the word church is ecclesia, which means called out or assembly. And the that's the word that the, uh, in, in the Middle East and Israel, they call their par- parliament the Knesset which is the, the Hebrew word for church. Mm-hmm. So when you say in in uh, Israel, if you say in Hebrew, I'm going to go to church, you're saying I'm going to parliament. So I don't, mm-hmm. the, the distinction of government and church, I don't think there is one. Well, I'm still confused. We're supposed to be so good at self-government that unbelievers mm-hmm. come to us to ask us to judge things for them. So, so if we go back instead to that. of instead of us having to ask them, hey, would you judge this one? This this is what First um, Corinthians five and six is talking about. So Paul says uh, this is in the context of um, a man has been has taken his father's wife. Mm-hmm. Paul's condemning him, and then at the end of the chapter, he says. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So my take is, if an unbeliever comes to me and wants me to judge him, I will judge him. But I'm not going to go out and chase him down and judge him against his will. But I judge myself and I judge other believers around me who call themselves believers, or I treat them as an unbeliever. But doesn't Romans 13 say that the government carries out God's wrath? On Right. So, so those people would be to judge unbelievers. Um, well, the question is, who should be a governing authority? There's no governing authority except from God. Should unbelievers, if I'm being judged by unbelievers, am I in a blessed state or a cursed state? I mean, I don't mean state like uh, like government. I mean like yeah. a condition. Am I in a blessed condition or a cursed condition if unbelievers are judging me? Well, I think it depends on if they're judging you according. So, I mean, I guess <laughs> this is probably where we disagree. I guess, yeah, I would say not in a blessed state. 
if if a uh, if a unbeliever is is judging you not according to God's standards, then I'm in a cursed state. Yes, I would agree. Oh, you'd agree. Okay. So yeah, I mean, but it, it, that's if they're not, which I think an unbeliever. Can, I mean, like, okay, so if a judge nowadays is an unbeliever and they rule someone because there are places that solve the death penalty and they rule someone deserves the death penalty because they committed murder, is it? unjust is it is it wrong because they're an unbeliever i view that in the context of let's say you've got jews that have been exiled into babylon and uh-huh. while they're in slavery in babylon a babylonian executes another babylon the, the babylonian government executes a babylonian for some sin in one sense like the jews focus at that point was supposed to be repentance so that they can return to being self-governing back in Israel. So in one sense, I view that as kind of a, like that's background noise compared to what they need to be focused on. They need to get back to where they can be self-governing. Right. So, so you would say the church needs to be self-governing. Yes. The church in, needs to in be all matters, because the way that it's divided up right now is, you know, if somebody commits adultery in the church, I think everybody would agree that the church should handle that. Like, the, there should be church discipline, all this stuff. Like, it, even if you were to go to the local authorities, adultery is not against the law. Why Why would they care? Who would you go report that to? Right, so so wouldn't you say... The only option is to, you know, go to a church leadership. But, but the, that government is supposed to yeah adultery is supposed to be they're supposed to punish adultery correct right so shouldn't we should we be holding we should be holding them to that standard right i think we should hold ourselves to that standard first yes because if we don't hold ourselves to that standard and then i go and i try to shove a standard that I don't even hold to down somebody else's throat, mm. that's not going to sit well. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, the requirement for being an elder is he's that saying, you He's saying, if we don't... Well, but, okay, so wait. So, but you wouldn't say we need... Would you say we need to execute someone who commits adultery in the church? I would say we can do that as a stopgap by excommunication. Okay, so we can do that now, as ex- but like you're saying, we should get to the point where we are executing people. That is my view. Okay, now... So, so basically you're saying Ro- Romans 13... This is getting interesting. Romans 13 is saying, since there are governing authorities now, this is how you should, this is how you should view them, but in the long haul, there shouldn't actually be these governing authorities. There can be governing authorities, um, but in one sense, it's kind of like my goal is to attract them to where they throw off their own government and because they favor ours. Like, to a large extent, that's what you had happen in the United States. Like, it's still the number one place people want to emigrate to, and it's because they prefer those laws to the laws of their homeland. And I'm saying that that's the exact same type of pattern that Christianity is supposed to follow to for people to convert to Christ. They don't like their nation's laws. They would much rather prefer to be governed by God's laws. And so in that sense, they switch their heavenly citizenship. 
they they become i mean you yeah they become christians yes um so <laughs> oh i just have and like, i think america is a great outworking of the fruit of that being true and so you actually saw it on a national scale yeah so because okay. it was spiritually true and it outworks itself in the physical world hmm. so, <laughs> so so you don't even so sum up for me like what your perfect well not perfect but like to the best that we could do right now what government would look like um or lack thereof of government um it seems like but what would the best um, well, he's he's using government as in the church. The church right. is the so, government. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that would. So yeah, just kind of give a picture of what the perfect example of that would look like. So um, I've been involved with uh, different prison ministries and am running my own right now. And my goal is to get the local jail shut down because they don't have anybody to send there anymore because they're all being dealt with by. Uh, they have a biblical option as an alternative. Right. And I think that most people would pick the biblical alternative if they had a choice. So the death penalty is a, is a different thing. That's basically going to be the last straw where obviously, well, and, but actually I think this would be a great testament to the world. Let's say I think the church should get to this point of loyalty where somebody could commit a capital offense in the church and rather than being excommunicated the person says i would rather be put to death than leave this community Hmm. i think that that would be an amazing testimony to the world what would cause somebody to choose to die instead of leave this group Mm -hmm. why don't we have that level of commitment from believers so so, whoa whoa, wait hold up so so what if there is repentance what do you do with a repentant murderer? Well, that's what I'm saying. Is you, you, you're saying you could excommunicate him? I'm saying you could excommunicate him un- until we have the authority to... Uh, until we've been given that responsibility back to handle executions. Okay, I thought within- you said he could choose between excommunication or dying with the... Still being within... Well, he would get to that point. Is that, is that what your point is? This is like, a stepping- he- this is a stepping. This is yeah, a stepping yeah, stone. Yeah, yeah. So he would. There. It would be like we're gonna excommunicate you. Like that's the stepping stone. And he's like, no, no, no. Just, you know, I think it's more just if you if you kill me for what I did, essentially, right? I'd rather I'd rather die than leave this community. Yeah. yeah. I am struggling to see where. So so, I, I'm I'm trying to separate government, like. Uh, um, it, it seems like you're you're putting together so like the government that God set up in Israel in the Old Testament, that is not how government should how we view government. That's not how the government should function today. That is how the church should function as you know a, a government today. I think the nation of Israel was given to us as a pattern, as a type and a shadow of right. what the true Israel is. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I would ag- so I, I 100% agree. Yeah. Talking about, like, national boundaries, 
in one sense, like, okay, there's a line of land that you cross. Well, the pattern for that was like crossing when they initially got to Israel, God parted the Jordan and they walked across on dry land, the Jordan signifying death. So you enter the nation of Israel through death. We know that that's the death of Christ. Yeah. And so the way that you become a part of God's heavenly nation is through crossing the Jordan mm-hmm. or Jesus Christ crossing the Jordan on your behalf, dying for you so that you don't have to, so you can walk across on dry land sure. and not drown. Right, right. So that's what I would define as the national boundaries of God's nation. It's has, uh, do you believe in Christ's death? Yes. If you believe in Christ's death, you're within our national jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe in Christ's death, you are not within our national jurisdiction. So it's it's not so much like you know borders or physical physical areas. It is just the people. It, it is more the people that are spiritual state. Yes, their spiritual state. Correct. And that and that's is, what Paul is talking about. Paul says there's insiders and there's outsiders. Right. right. But you then, judge insiders, you don't judge outsiders. Now, you might have somebody come into your nation as a sojourner, and you can judge them the same. I would liken that to somebody saying that they're a believer when they're not actually. You treat them based on what they say. You treat them like a believer if they say they are, until they're either excommunicated or they don't say that they're a believer anymore. So, uh, I, it sounds to me like, and, and you know, I, I'm sure... I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. It, it sounds like someone could take what you're saying and, and and take it and be like, okay, so we're not supposed to interact with the secular government at all. We should focus on just the church and just what's going on in the church, which I, I understand like that's important. Like I agree that's important. But I also think there is a place for us to be calling out the government that God set up because they have strayed, and I mean, you know, it's always been secular, but they are doing things that are unjust and are wrong, and I think we should hold them to the sta- that standard, and even though, you know, we're not, like, you, you know, yes, the church is not perfect, um, and the church is doing a lot of things wrong, but... It sounds like you're saying the government, the the calling out the government on that stuff isn't important because you know they're secular. But I, I I view it more as like, but unjust or injustice is being done to secular people and believers as well because you know they're under the government and so so I I stuff like that I I just. Would you say we're not supposed to push back against the secular government or we're not supposed to, um, you know, try to change the secular government at all? Because it's like you said, the example of the Jews being in, you know, in Babylonian captivity, they're just supposed to focus on getting back to their nation and, you know, changing that instead of focusing on the other nations. Do you think that changes now that, especially now that we're under a new covenant where, you know, it's not just about uh, 
the church, but people can join the church from all over and people in, you know, all through the world. Like, I don't know if that that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely do agree that we should push back. Mm -hmm. And we, we can absolutely, we must condemn evil. Yeah. And we can tell authorities that they are evil. I mean, John the Baptist literally had his head cut off for, for being willing to condemn Pharaoh for taking his, I think it was his brother's wife. Yes, right. And we shouldn't shy away from saying those kinds of things. And also, Jesus had the ability, Jesus condemned us by dying in our place. He made us realize that we were condemned and he took our condemnation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's one thing to just go out and condemn. It's another thing to actually take responsibility for the wrong that somebody else has been committing. And that's the attitude that I take. There's a million ways that I can condemn people. I wouldn't have as much conviction on this subject if I also wasn't helping people get out of jail through applying God's standard to their lives. I have not to the point of being willing to take in like convicted murderers and rapists and stuff like that but i can take in people who have been arrested for drunk driving or thieves or uh, things like that smaller smaller things we need to be able to focus on doing that type of stuff first and then that's the path to earning the trust back from local authorities to where they'd be like hey um would you take all of our prisoners because you seem to know what to do with them better than what we know what to do with them. And I thought that me starting up a ministry to help people get out of jail would be seen as, in in one sense, I mean it as an act of antagonism towards the local authorities. Mm-hmm. In my heart, I'm doing this because I hate the way that they govern. And it's evil, and they're destroying people. Yeah. But the way that I've gone about it, the local authorities have said, we love what you're doing. Why don't more people do what you're doing? And I'm like, I was a little bit taken aback because I'm like, you're thanking me. Like, the only reason I'm here doing this is because you're not doing your job. <laughs> but, but, they, but they thank me for it. Yeah. And I think Jesus had the exact same thing in his heart. He's like, I'm having to die because of you evil people. But also, that's how he gets us back. And so if we really want to be able to uh, govern our own house well, sometimes that, like, where would I go? Where do I, you know, all the people who have been arrested by church authorities? Well, we're not doing that. We're not taking church discipline seriously. There aren't there aren't court hearings where Christians are charged with offenses. So where, where do I go if we want to take responsibility back for that? I can't do that in my own house. We've, we've punted it so far. There's not even a room for that. So I go to the unbelievers and I start helping them out. Yeah. So a question I, maybe, maybe I misunderstood. So like if you'd say that the best way to, to do this is for the church to be governing itself right and that whole thing and but but it doesn't and eventually you said getting to where you know the church is um uh giving the death penalty it doesn't seem like that was the case in the in the early church though do do you think it was or 
or why if if not well, why do you think that wasn't the case then if they you know if if paul knew um that that was the way things should be yeah there's a case in first corinthians 5 where a man takes his father's wife and paul actually quotes the old testament death penalties for what's supposed to be done with the man he quotes from the the greek translation of the old testament word for word purge the evil person from among you that phrase is only ever used in connection with the death penalty in the old testament okay so paul says hand the man over to satan for the destruction of his flesh there was also a time where paul excommunicated uh a couple of people for blaspheming so i think that when when the authority of capital punishment has been stripped away from a people for their disobedience which it was for the jews they had stripped away the ability to execute people in jerusalem because of all the uprisings and stuff so rome's like all right no more executions Hmm. you guys have to come ask us so that's why they took jesus to Pilate, because the jews couldn't go execute him so they're in there right now i mean all of this all of the new testament happening with a uh, a rare mention of somebody outside of the Roman Empire was all being done underneath the Roman Empire. This is interesting because I you're you're I've never heard someone argue from this point of view of of like okay the cuz cuz I've always thought, you know, the government it it does the governing and is the one God has set up, and so they're the ones responsible for those things. And the church, I've never thought of the church being responsible to execute people, because, I mean, Romans thirteen says right, like the the government's giving the uh, the sword. Um, so it is well symbolically the sword is being used of like all punishment for wrongdoing. Um, if you want to just use the sword in the most technical sense, the sword is only ever supposed to be used in as execution in the warfare. Hmm. But I agree that Paul's using it in, as symbolic for all uh, punishment for all wrongdoing. But also, he right. when he says uh, the governing authority, he's not just talking about like a city judge. Like, is a parent a governing authority? Yes. Is somebody who owns a store the governing authority of that store? Yes, I see, but... Uh, so I would take yeah. Paul's example to be not just talking about civil government. I would talk about Paul uses a generic <laughs> word because it applies in all cases. Again, some, this is something I've never heard anyone argue before. So this is... Is this like... So, I mean, this is just kind of a question just... Because I'm interested. How many people believe this? Have you found a lot, or or like, it, it, do a lot more people agree with you than like we know? Like, is it pretty widely accepted? This view? Not that I know of. Okay. Uh, a lot of people that I have the conversation with, they've never thought about it before. Yeah, that's I'm I'm there. Never thought about this before. Um, My difficulty. My difficulty with all of this and the, the frustrating thing about holding this view is that I would like to set a Christian over me who would be willing to kill me if I did certain things. No church, no Christian that I have ever spoken to 
would ever has ever thought about that or would feel comfortable doing it. Hmm. I want not just one person. I want everybody that I know to be willing to publicly stone me if I do certain things. That's the kind of community that I want to live in. And that raises all kinds of red flags and, and apprehensiveness. And the reason that it does is because the, every, my experience included, my experience with other Christians is not one of trusting them to that level. They don't know the Bible well enough. They don't take their responsibility that seriously. And so wow. I guess I'm just going to be dissatisfied with my with my circle with my personal circle for my entire life because nobody will hold me that accountable i think most people's most people flee accountability they don't want to have to be more accountable than than they have to be and my attitude is i would like to be as accountable as possible hmm. especially when it comes to life and death stuff yeah yeah no i, I would agree i would agree yeah. with that i think I, I agree with the stoning part, but back to Romans thirteen. You know, you're saying you're saying you think it's talking about all governing authorities or whatever, but I was or just reading it or, or whatever. Um, right. So it says, "For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad." Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And then it continues, and it ends up talking about taxes. To me, this seems like it is specifically talking about governing authorities when it when it says uh, he's well, an avenger who he carries was saying, out. Did you hear what he said? He was saying governing authorities includes. Right. Sorry. It I definitely does include civil authority as well. I sorry. I I should have clarified. Uh, it seems to me that it's talking specifically about civil authority, though, and I, I think this is different from the type of authority that. A, a parent would have or or even self you know um self-governing you know governing yourself and stuff like that um because of how it well, talks about that they are to carry out god's wrath on the wrongdoer yeah the interesting point about that is that who bears in a in a situation where somebody has to be publicly stoned who is bearing the sword when you stone somebody who's throwing rocks the whole community the, the entire community witnesses first right and then the rest of the people but the the bearing the sword so, is the one so who is who is the governing authority in the in the case of public stoning who's the one bearing the sword i would say this the stone stoning somebody is the sword it's all the people and i think so, that's one thing that america got right which is the authority is ultimately derived from all people uh, well, well, okay. I, I, well, let's use let's use the example of like, um, let's say someone's getting hanged. So in in America, okay, you know, let's go back. Um, if someone gets hanged, the government decides, or you know, the judge decides that this person is should be sentenced or whatever. Now the guy picks him up and he you know puts him in the noose and everything. Is that guy the only one who's bearing the sword? Yeah, I think that's the problem with hanging is that it limits it to one person. Okay, so I would say bearing the sword. When I think of bearing the sword, I think of the the person who has the authority, who has the authority to 
who uh, decides. So, so like, right? yeah, yeah, like, like the judges in Israel. I would say they're the ones that are. Right, it wasn't like all the people just came together and were like, "No, you you need to be right. killed." Right, it's now. not like all the people just yeah decided, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna all stone this person." And th- that can't be what it's talking about. It can't be that the people are the governing authority because it, that's not how that's decided back then. It was a judge had to hear the case. Yeah, the judge and decided. the judge decided, and then yes, it was enacted by the people. But the judge was the one who had the authority for that. It wasn't the people coming together and deciding to do that. Correct. Correct. And it's also important to note um, who put the judge in place or who ideally is supposed to put a judge in authority. Deuteronomy 16, 18, that passage that I mistakenly brought up earlier. Deuteronomy 16, 18. You shall appoint judges and officers in mm-hmm. all your towns that oh, the thought, Lord your God okay. is giving to you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Sure, but but they are still not deciding that it's not like it's not like a, a case comes together and all the people. It's like oh, if the majority thinks this guy should be killed, then we put him to death no matter what. That the people aren't don't have the authority to decide what you know if, if he's executed. If or not. The, if the sword should be bared or not you know like whether whether they are guilty or not is not decided by the people it's decided by the judge so so the the point the point me and jackson are saying is like so then it doesn't seem like the people would be the ones bearing the sword we know like yes they're the ones carrying out the act of justice but bearing the sword in the sense of the ones who have the authority to do that to say this is what's going to be done now this has been this is what i have decided this will be what's done. That would be Correct. the judges, the people in the government, the people in authority over uh, the people. Correct. I would agree. Okay. It's the, the judge makes the decision. The people were responsible for appointing the judge. So then it raises the question, if a judge makes a decision that all of the people disagree with, it's kind of their fault, right? Because they were the ones who put him there. And then he goes, hey, wire and starts... Uh, legislating from the bench, so to speak, the people are, and and that's and, and to a large extent what the United States has. We don't like the people who are in office, but also we put them there. Right, right. So it's like you know to complain about the laws in your own country is kind of like complaining about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, but again, back to like so so when it talks about Romans thirteen, it sounded like you were saying the people are the ones that enact justice, enact the bearing of the sword. I, that, that's just what, I mean, it sounded like that's what you were saying. Ultimately, but, I would say they reap the consequences of it. The judge mm-hmm. is the one, obviously, who makes the decision on whether bearing the sword is justified or not. Right, So, but, but that passage of Scripture is referring to the judge, right? Um, I would say the judge and, and the people. Because the people were involved in picking the judge. So it's referring to... So when it's talking about the governing authorities, it's talking about the people? Like it's whoever, whoever... Ideally, it's talking about the people, right? In an ideal where the people actually do get to choose their own judges and are not living in a dictatorship but, or something. But, but that's it's talking not, it, to... It's talking to... So, so like... Um, oh, man. 
Uh, well, I would say the <laughs> governing authority together. is not the people if the people the people choose a judge to be the governing authority, right? Yes. So, so the judge is the judge is the governing authority. Yes. So then, what what it's talking about the governing authority there is the judge, not the people. Now, the people did put him in place, but that doesn't mean that when it says governing authority, it's talking about them. It is talking about him or the you know judges. Yeah, I would say it depends on in the the in the situation of deciding who to execute. I would say the judge is the governing authority in that situation. Okay, so the bearing of the sword. <laughs> eh? You're right. Yeah, I kind of feel like we covered that. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so wait, but okay. I'm still I'm still confused because okay now so now I go back to. Is that the just way to handle government, though? So if we agree about that, that the judge is to enact the bearing of the sword, is that the 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 best way to handle government? Um, also consider that if the judge is not, um, not confident in make, being able to make a correct or a wise decision, then what's a judge supposed to do? He appeals to priests, and then a panel of priests decides what's to do, what to do. So the church, depending on your view of the priesthood, the believer, uh, uh, that would be yeah, that would be my argument. And so, in that sense, that's the pattern of you've got a judge who's not a priest. I would say that's an unbelieving judge. If he can't decide what to do, he can turn to priests. But just because but again, just because a judge is not a priest doesn't mean they're unbelieving, right? Like it could be a, it could, ideally, it would be a believer who is the judge, right? And so, so it is good for Christians to be in government if the government is enacting just laws. The. In one sense, yes. In one sense, no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, in, in one sense, yes. If it's a believer governing other believers, I would say yes, absolutely. Okay. I think that the idea of being a church judge or a church scribe or a church officer that is deciding on this type of stuff and handling church matters as much as possible in-house whenever possible. I don't necessarily agree with, and this is the whole debate over like what colonialism is and is colonialism justified? Yeah. Is it justified to go and start governing people who don't want to be governed against their will? No. I would say you want to make them come to you. You don't want to have to chase them down. And in that sense, I think that's what Paul's talking about. God will judge them. If they're living in sin, God will oppress them, make their lives hard, and then maybe they'll come to us for a rescue. Yeah. Um, okay. So I so don't have to. I don't have to make the first move and, and chase them down before they're ready to come. Right. It sounds like. So I mean, it sounds like you're almost a theonomist. Um, it sounds like you're you're close to that. It's just there are a few things with like. Like the, 
I'm just confused on like I, I'm kind of confused on your view of the government, not not the church, but the actual government, and like I'm still kind of confused on like does that matter? And would you say because it seems like you're kind of you're saying the church is the governing governing authority should be or government. should be the governing authority, but does that mean there's there shouldn't be any room for a gov- like ideally yeah, that, you would hope yeah, there's not is. another government it would just be the church like there's no judges it's just priests within the church yes there's uh, uh, the mm-hmm. church should hopefully only be priests i mean there's right 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 right, right. sojourners because you've got people who are not christians calling themselves christians but let's say okay so let's say for instance uh, we start our own country, you know, and it's all Christians. And would we be like, okay, we're going to put judges up, Christian judges, or would we say, okay, we don't need judges, we have the church, we just have the church? I would leave it up to the people to see who does, who follows justice better. There's a lot of situations where I would prefer an unbeliever decide something because I don't trust any believer to decide that. Right, which is which is a uh, wait. A, you would which, trust which an unbeliever a, for certain things, like I would not trust. Trust. There's not a pastor that I know of who I would trust to investigate a murder. Like I would trust the police to do it. But there can be believers in the police who could do it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be specifically a pastor, does it? Correct. So, so this is what I'm saying. So, like, if we were to start our own country, it's a Christian nation, right? It's all Christians. It's uh, all these Christians got together, like, and to start, well, yeah, yeah, formed a new, a well, new what country. Do, what do I have to create a new nation for? That nation has existed for thousands of years. See, so this is so this is where the difference is. Then is you think you you believe that the church is already the nation and we don't need i mean and i i would i would agree that we don't need that but my point is just i'm trying to see do you think like what is your standard for government or does it not matter like you you would say it doesn't really matter it just the standard should be for the church and maybe the government will follow but it it doesn't really matter it's just the church is what's important Right. My, okay. I keep yeah, coming yeah. back to that quote yeah, from yeah, Paul. Yeah. What, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Like, we've already got our own problems. You know, to have hmm. sexual immorality named among us is already a defeat. It's it's interesting because, like, I, I we're, want... We're in, we're in a defeated state right now. It's not time to go out and stage an attack. Yeah, I it's... It is interesting because, like, I want to agree with you because I feel like you have... A lot of good points. I, yeah, I don't know. There's, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, and I appreciate the view. I think it's, and I think it's very helpful for you know the, um, for the church to look at themselves and say, well, what do we, what do we need to do better? Yeah. Um, I think I that's think it's a lot of. Uh, we're too eager to shirk our responsibility, and the way that we do it. And justified is say that well it's it shouldn't be our responsibility huh, and yeah. i'm like but what about all the christians out there who are in jail i have a responsibility to them as my brothers hebrews says that we're supposed to uh, to think about those who are in prison as if we were chained with them 
So they're they're my responsibility. I want to save them first, and if I can, in doing that, if I can turn some heads of unbelievers, and they're like, hmm, what does that God teach? I don't see anybody else doing that. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, we don't uh, have to go out and start changing laws in different people's countries. We just, I mean, the law has already been changed in our hearts. Right. So now we focus on the outworking of that. We grow into our salvation by doing good works. Yeah. That's why we were saved. Okay. Okay. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with, with that. So, this is, man. It's, it's all a question of the outworking. What does the outworking look like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that, well, at least for the two of you specifically, I don't think that would be helpful. I think it would be detrimental to record it and publish it on a podcast, but I'm always willing to have that conversation <laughs> with people. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything else, any other questions I have. Like, I, I feel like I, this is stuff I have to like think about now. I'm really... What have you done? Yeah. <laughs> That's the best compliment I've gotten all month. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though. Yeah, no, this has caused me to... It's it's really... Yeah, it's making me think. Um, and, like, I... That's why I'm kind of to the point where I'm like, I feel like I have nothing else really to add. I mean, I will I will definitely... I'm sure I'll think of stuff later um, <laughs> as I... Yeah, as the I, summary of of the whole what we were just talking about was one of the requirements for being an elder is that you govern your own household well mm -hmm. let's say i disagree with the with the goal of trying to gain authority over unwilling unbelievers but let's say that that was your goal the way that you get there is by governing your own house first Right. So, like, regardless of whether we agree with the end game, what should that look like? Do we agree that, and I think we are in agreement, yes. you govern your own house first. Yeah. Right. And then other people, you don't even have to chase other people down. They'll come to you. There'll be more people coming and asking you, how do you, how do you, I govern myself? Yeah. Then you will care to answer. Yeah. No, I 100% I agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like, yeah, there's a, uh, there's just a few, a few differences. I feel like, and maybe, maybe it feels like differences, and it's not really. But I, I feel like there's just, yeah, things. I don't know. It's interesting. It's funny. You it's, said you said people, you will either say you're definitely a theonomist or you're definitely not a theonomist, and I'm like, I feel like you fall somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I don't feel like either of those <laughs> sides of people. It's like, yes. Yeah. But I think just some of the terms that some of the terms are different and stuff. But yeah, yeah. It, it's it's definitely this is a very unique position. I've I've never heard it before, and it's it's I, I enjoy it though. Like I I really do enjoy you know like hearing this because it, like I said, it is causing me to think, and it is like you know um, it's yeah, it's just a lot to ponder. I guess it's I'm on the fence between sacralism and theonomy. Okay. I haven't ever used. I haven't ever stated it that way before. But um, <laughs> sacralism is usually characterized by riots and trying to stage a coup, like the Jews did to take over the Roman Empire, because you know there is no separation between between church and state. And the pre presupposition is, and I should be in charge. Right. 
my presupposition is I should not be in charge unless other people want me to be. And then I will only be in charge of the people who want me to be. Hmm. God's in charge of you otherwise. So you can either be, God can either be in charge of you without a mediator, or I can be a mediator with Christ and point you to him as my mediator too. Yeah. That's good. That's okay. interesting. Hmm. So, so I don't I think there is definitely there in in the sense people think of the distinction between church and state I don't think should exist. Yeah. Yeah, right. But the right. way that I do think it should exist is that I only want to rule myself and other believers. I do not want to rule unbelievers until they become believers. Yes. Which so you I think a theonomist no, I guess not. Yeah, I guess that's the difference, is that a theonomist would be okay with ruling unbelievers in, in their, you know, country. Right. And that's one of the reasons, that's the reason that I don't vote in local elections. I vote in church elections. Okay. Because I wouldn't want a believer, I wouldn't want an unbeliever voting in church elections, so why should I vote in his? Gotcha. Interesting. Hmm. I've got this big smile on my face as I'm sitting here thinking about it. It's this very, like, yeah. I just, I, yeah, it's it's a lot. So people are like, Adam, you don't believe that Christians should be involved in government, and I'm like, yes, I do. Just in a hundred, basically ninety degrees different from what you think. Right? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. It's like opening yourself up to the the third dimension. You've been living in two dimensions all your life. <laughs> So it would be similar to to the Roman Catholic Church, basically. The yes, early, uh, yeah. I've gotten that comment before, and, uh, and yeah, I, I think understand. That's right. But they went too far and tried to impose. You know, they were colonializing and forcing other people to become Catholic. Right, of course, of course. Did it out of fear instead of true conversion? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't saying that. And saying, you know, that's wrong because you know it went wrong so, obviously there is a way that it can be done you know there there could be a way that it can be done well essentially but. it'd be like the church is the government but unbelievers can do whatever they want right and there's room for you as a sojourner if you want to come in and start following these rules because you want to fine but also recognize that you're not a citizen and gotcha. we're happy to have you, but also you can leave anytime you want. Right. Which really opens it up for different countries to compete over people who want to immigrate. Hmm. You know, if you're going to follow our laws, please come. We want to have you. Our laws will be productive if you follow them. You'll be, you'll be an asset to us. We don't view you as a burden. But this Versus would the United be... States now, you, you come here and you get to suck on our welfare system right. and you're going to be drained so we don't want you but you would but you would say that's the church right people that you would say people could come in and be a sojourner in then yeah I, I guess analogically I would call somebody who says that they're a believer but they're not really I would call them a sojourner uh huh but I, because I treat them the same, but they're not really a citizen. But you still treat them the same. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
any Jackson? Do you have anything? Like, well, I get it. I get it. I think. I think it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I don't. It's like a. Yeah, it's a unique idea. Um, I'd have to do more study into it and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd hope to have you on again um, to talk about it more. Yeah, but, I think this is something that would like. We could definitely talk about again. I think. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely of- more to discuss. I've had eight <laughs> hours straight conversations <laughs> with people about this. <laughs> yeah, oh I can I can imagine. That's I mean, it's it's it seems like the type of thing that could go on forever. But I mean, thank you for being patient with us though, and and uh, being willing to answer qu- our questions and everything. Um, thank you guys for kicking me off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh, so. Yeah, we'll move into our recommendations. Um, which is basically, you know, just anything you want to recommend to the, or we say recommend, um, you know, it's just a podcast thing. Um, for anything for our listeners that you want to, you know, let them know about that they should check out or anything, Adam? Yeah, so I, I delve into this in a lot more detail in the book, Public Stoning, God's Design for a Nation Without Prisons. Mm-hmm. There's a hardback, paperback, audiobook. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And uh, the organization website is called VoluntaryTheocracy.org. Awesome. And there's a Facebook page as well. You can follow I post there occasionally. Sweet. Awesome. awesome. I was going to recommend that, but... <laughs> All right. That's um, fine. I was going listened, to... I listened to your podcast, Adam, and uh, I really... I was listening to the one where you went um, to Street Talks, and I really appreciated that, um, how you were willing to, you know just take on random people and you know have these he have these discussions with them it shows that you know you actually care about it and you're not just sitting in a basement writing a book and then just not talking about it you know <laughs> so that that was really cool but I, I i i was really enjoying your podcast so i recommend that you go check out adam adam's podcast called theocracy um it's very good uh good guests he's had on too um so yeah Alex. not called theonomy no theocracy <laughs> uh Yes, so then I guess my recommendation, I'll second uh, what Adam recommended, which was, you know, the, his book. You guys should go go get it. Um, another thing, though, would be uh, just, you know... Uh, cr- Alex can never think of anything <laughs> when he gets this do point, Chris, by the way. Do, do your Christmas traditions and, you know, have Ooh, fun with Christmas. Should, or should or we? Or should we? Ooh. Maybe Christmas isn't a good thing. Next episode? <laughs> yes. T- hint, hint, tease, tease, guys. This is, you know, coming next. Is Christmas good? Uh, but the answer is yes. And you guys should go, check, go uh, have fun with your Christmas traditions. Oh, That's a terrible man. recommendation. What do we try? Oh, I recommend you guys do not try the coffee peppermint Uh or it's it's a co- it's the peppermint frosted coffee. Frosted coffee. I thought we agreed that it is good. It is good, but I wouldn't recommend it. It's like the frosted coffee's better and the peppermint milkshake's better, and it's just mixing them together and just not as good. So get them separately and drink them both. If you separately. guys want to see video of us try that, you can join our Patreon, which is you know pretty sweet. We we have a monthly uh, video podcast where we try a weird. Uh, food or something and then we also have bonus episodes we try to do weekly uh, it's it's hard with everything going on with me right now I'm trying to buy a house and I'm about to get married and all this stuff so um, it's exciting but 
at the same time it makes podcasting a little difficult so yeah. um but yeah we uh that's that's all I got well, for I recommendations. Also, I also recommend Squatchaway, our sponsor, um, because we know Sasquatch is real, and that you know he's coming for for everyone. Um, right, Adam. Pretty much. Sasquatch is coming for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. and and our I'll, I'll explain this to you. Um, so we have a sponsor, Squatchaway, and uh, and they they sell spray. And this spray will keep Sasquatch away. It's 100% guaranteed that if you use 300% the sp- guaranteed. 300% guaranteed if you use the spray, you'll never see Sasquatch. Oh, actually, I have some of that spray. I use it every day. It works great. <laughs> Do you? Okay, perfect. That's great. Yeah, so you've never seen Sasquatch, right? Correct. Works okay. like a charm. Well, there, there you go. I mean, it's... it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's already working for for Adam. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. we we have it too. Haven't seen Sasquatch yet, so uh, you know. I mean, if you guys want to keep Sasquatch away, get the spray and you'll yeah, uh, use code SRB two hundred three to get ten percent off your entire purchase. And we really appreciate them. So yeah. so thank you. All right. Well, uh, Adam, thank you for coming on, and uh, you know we really enjoyed having you on. Well, hopefully we can do it again, like we said. Um, so thank you, man. You're welcome. I'd be glad to. Yeah. So, uh, until next time, guys, fear God. And keep his commandments. And also, as we always say, Jeff Durbin needs to come on our podcast again. You know you want to. You know you're listening. Watch.